It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. It's Christmas Eve and the Bickersons have not retired. Mrs. Bickerson is busy wrapping presents in the bedroom while husband John, exhausted as he is from the pre-holiday activity, puts the finishing touches to the tree which stands proudly in the kitchen, the only other room in the Bickerson's small apartment. Listen. John? John? Will you bring the scissors, please? John? What is he doing in there? Oh, no. How can a man fall asleep on a ladder? Oh, I haven't got the heart to wake him. Oh, I'd better get him off of there. John? John! Oh, ow. What's, the, what's the matter, Blanche? What happened, huh? Oh, you poor dear. Did you hurt yourself? No, uh, no, I'm all right. How did I fall off that ladder? I must have fainted. Yes, dear, you were fainting like a log when I came in. Why, John? What? You never even touched your dinner. 
Not a morsel of it. I don't like the looks of it, Blanche. Oh, stop that talk. It's perfectly good food. You let it sit there on the kitchen table for hours getting cold. You want me to warm it up for you? No, just tell me what's on that big plate. Are you trying to be funny, John? I'm not trying to be funny, Blanche. What is it? You know very well I can only cook two things. Liver and rice pudding. Well, which one is that? How can you be so nasty on Christmas Eve, John? Blanche, I just asked you a civil question, that's all. I didn't think it was liver because your liver always looks like rubber heels. That stuff looks more like scrambled eggs, so I thought it might be rice pudding. Well, why don't you taste it and find out? I'm not hungry. That's why you're always tired, John. You don't eat enough. I eat plenty. Well, what did you have for lunch today? Well, you ought to know. You packed it for me. And listen, Blanche, I'm getting sick of carrying my lunch to the office in paper sacks. Why can't I go to a restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking talking about. I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. Lunch? That's the kitchen scraps. How do you like that? No wonder I never have an appetite. Why do you do that to me, Blanche? Go on. Eat some dinner and finish trimming the tree. I don't want any dinner. I want to go to sleep. Aren't you going to finish the tree? I can do it in the morning. But, John, tomorrow morning is Christmas Day. I expect a lot of people to drop in. The butcher's coming, and the milkman is coming, and the... Listen, Blanche, I can't afford to give those guys presents. Why did you invite them over? I didn't invite them. They're coming here to collect their bills. Bills? What bills? I gave you money for the bills. Well, I had to buy presents, didn't I? My sister Clara sent me a package, and I had to get her something in return. No, you didn't. Nobody asked her to send you anything. Well, she did just the same. So, I bought her a bottle of perfume. How much was that? $24. $24? Why, nobody can carry that much perfume. It was only an ounce, silly. It's the latest perfume. Very daring. It's called... Perhaps. Perhaps. For $24, you should get positively. Don't be so crabby, John. We're not going to fight on Christmas Eve, no matter what happens. Remember, you promised. Okay. I'm not even going to get mad because you didn't send me a Christmas card. I did send you a Christmas card. It isn't necessary to make excuses or alibis, John. I'm going to forget it entirely. I don't have to make excuses. I did send you a Christmas card. I mailed it five days ago. John, you you promised you wouldn't shout. Well, then, why are you goading me like this? You know I wouldn't say I sent you a Christmas card unless I had. I never received it. Well, then it got lost in the mail. All the other cards came in. That doesn't mean anything. One card can get lost, can't it? If you sent it. I did send it. I swear I sent it. Had a wonderful poem on it, a beautiful picture. It was trimmed with lace. Cost me a buck. All right, John. Well, you don't believe me? Let's not discuss it anymore. Okay. But I hope you don't forget to send one next year. (sighs) What's the use? All right, so I didn't send you a card. That's all. Why didn't you just admit it before? There was nothing to admit. I just said I didn't send it to end the argument, but I really sent it. What did it say on it? Um, it said, uh, Merry Christmas to my love. That could be anybody. Let me finish. 
It said, Merry Christmas to my love, my wife, my life, my turtle dove. Life with you is great, it seems. I love you more than pork and beans. You're only adding insult to injury, John. Well, how do I know what it said? I can't remember what... What's that laying on top of the newspaper? There it is. There's my card. Oh, so it is. See, you didn't have to get so excited after all. Oh, thank you, darling. It's a lovely card. Wear it in good health. Well, let's open the presents and then go to sleep. Well, how could you, John? You know we never open presents until Christmas morning. Besides, you haven't finished trimming the tree. All it needs is a string of lights. One of the bulbs is blown. That kills the whole string. Well, can't you buy a bulb? The stores aren't open now. What time is it? Five past twelve. Well, that's good. It's Christmas Day. Let's open presents. You didn't even hang up your stocking. I haven't got one that would hold anything. They look like lace curtains. Come on, let's open the presents, Blanche. Come on, huh? Oh, all right. Say we haven't got very many this year, have we? Oh, who's this from? That's from Leo Goosby. It's amazing how you went to the one shaped like a bottle. Oh? Oh, is that what it is? I hope it's good stuff. Ah, mm, that's not bad at all. John, that's shampoo. Shampoo? Why, that chiseler, two-bit Leo? What do I want with a bottle of shampoo? And to think, I threw out 39 cents on a tie for him. What have you got there? It's another present for you. Oh, it's from your boss. No kidding. Gee, that's a big one. Oh, what is it, Blanche? A five-gallon can of lighter fluid. Well, that's fine. That's just what I need. I don't even own a lighter. Well, don't feel too bad, John. Maybe you can exchange it for something else. Last year, he sent me a bowling ball case. He must get these things in a rummage sale. I never heard of such presents. Here's one for me, from Louise Shaw. Shoot, bet that's a dilly. Oh, Louise always sends something nice. Not expensive, but it usually comes in handy. Well, look at that. What is it? It's a polo score pad. Isn't that nice? That'll sure come in handy. Honest, Blanche, you've got the weirdest collection of friends. Is there anything else? Just our presents to each other. Why don't you look at what I got you first, and then you can show me what you got me. Now, close your eyes. I'll unveil it. All right. I hope you didn't spend too much, dear. I don't really want anything. Open your eyes. Blanche. Oh, Blanche, darling. That way, that's beautiful. That's a dream. A portable bar with a brass rail. Don't you think a kiss is in order, John? Oh, a million kisses. Well, stop <laughs> kissing the bar. I-, I meant a kiss for me. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. It's it's just too good to be true. Oh, you're wonderful. Uh, Blanche, that must have cost a fortune. Now, John, don't get angry, but I sold my fur coat. You you sold your fur coat? I wanted you to have the bar, and I didn't have the money. You sold your coat, that beautiful fur coat that you bought yourself for my birthday? That gorgeous bald mink? I got $75 for it. The bar cost 85 Oh, Blanche, you sh- never should have sold that bald mink. It doesn't matter. I have a cloth coat, and I never get cold. Yeah, but you don't understand. Um, Open the present I got for you. I can't wait, John. Oh, a muff. A fur muff. Genuine plucked skunk. I had it made special to match that coat. It can hold two full quarts, and you sold the coat. Oh, well, what's the difference, darling? 
Someday you'll make a lot of money, and then you'll be able to get a coat that'll match the muff. <laughs> I'm very happy, John. I know, but... Uh, and you still have the gorgeous bar. That's just it. What's the matter? I sold all my bourbon to pay for the muff. That's great, isn't it? What a break for both of us. I think it's wonderful, John. What do you mean, Blanche? I've never been so happy in my life. We've both made a sacrifice, and that's worth more than all the gold and precious jewels in the world. Just to know that you gave up a prized possession is proof enough that you love me. I've always loved you, Blanche. I may holler and rant and act like a first-class crumb sometimes, but you never doubted that I loved you, did you? No, John. It's been seven years, honey, most of it uphill. I haven't showered you with diamonds or bought any yachts, but I try not to deny you anything. I suppose you have your little faults, what woman hasn't, or what man either, for that matter. We're both pretty sensitive people. Maybe that's why we beef so much. Still, I don't think we're any worse than any other married couple. At least we have a safety valve, and we can let off steam. Some of the others just carry it inside until the break comes. No, Blanche, I like it this way, and I love you more than anything on earth. John. Hey, hey, cut that out. I'll prove how much I love you. Where is that liver or rice pudding or whatever it is you made? (laughs) It's liver. I'll eat every bit of it if it kills me. Let's go. Merry Christmas, darling. Merry Christmas. Good night, John. Jing 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 Jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Oh, 
everybody's doing the Jingle Bell Rock! Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away! From Kenneth. From Louis. Martelia Newman. From Marisha. Bertrand. <laughs> and the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and... Uh, Courtesy of my guest today, the Fowl Twins return and get what they deserve. Author uh, Owen Colford joins me by phone. His uh, new book, The Fowl Twins Get What They Deserve, is the third and promises to be the most bizarre adventure for Irish twins Miles and Beckett Fowl. Anyway, um, Owen is back and joins me by phone. Owen, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks for uh, joining me this morning. My pleasure, Tom. It's always it's always good to talk to a fellow book enthusiast. Well, let's let's talk about this. Um, you were on the show before, and and I, for some reason, I thought there were uh, more installments of the Foul Twins. I guess the last time must have been the second, and now this is the third. Um, was is this a trilogy or is this part three in an ongoing uh, adventure series? Um, I would say for now it's a trilogy, and um, maybe in a few years I'll come back to it and do another trilogy. So never say never, but I, I tend to make these decisions and then change my mind quite a lot. With the Artemis Fowl series, it was one, then it was three, then it was five, then it was seven. So I do. I'm not reliable, is what I'm trying to say, Tom. <laughs> I change my mind all the time, but I, the way I feel at the moment, um, yeah, I think their story is done, and I wanted to go out with a real big bang and a laugh, and uh, so it's a nice. I think if you're a fan of the twins, this is, uh, you would be happy with this sign-off. Now, the twins aren't the only members of the Fowl family, are they? No, uh, and I suppose the Fowls have an extended family. They're a little bit, it's a little bit like the characters on the bridge of the Enterprise. There's some uh, series regulars, uh, and I suppose the most important one is uh, the elf uh, fairy, um, Lazuli Heights, who is a, uh, she's in the lower elements police, and she is, if you like, the Fowl ambassador. So she is looking after the Fowls. Uh, boys, and that is indeed a thankless task because she is trying to keep them out of trouble and they are determined to get deeper and deeper into trouble uh, with every book. And also then we have uh, Beckett's companion. I won't say pet because they're very much equals and he is a toy troll, um, which is like a normal troll, but like the toy breeds of dogs, quite a bit smaller. And his name is Whistleblower. 
uh, and he he goes everywhere with Beckett. And to hide his uh, his presence this time, they hide him inside a foil crisp bag, so he can't be detected by scanners. So that's the motley crew that head off to London first uh, on an adventure, and they get involved with a, a set of um, very vengeful um, goblins. So there's all sorts of characters uh, hanging around and surprises around every corner. It's, I'm trying to create an adventure story. So once you open the first page, you're in free fall until the end. And then hopefully you close the book, have a big sigh uh, and go to bed. <laughs> well, you referenced Star Trek and, and compared uh, the the variety of characters in the various foul books. Um as as being somewhat like the bridge of the enterprise, where you have people that are always there and people that come and go, um, which begs the question: Do you intentionally uh, bring red shirts into the story? Uh, yeah, I know the red, the legend of the red shirt. If you're wearing a red shirt, uh, you're doomed. Um, <laughs> I suppose my books are a little lighter than that. There's only ever been one really. Uh, I suppose, a uh, major character who died. And occasionally people are injured, but I'm more like the A-Team, if you remember the A-Team show of the 1980s, where there was a lot of shooting going on, but very little, very few people got actually hit by bullets. Yeah, um, I've always so wondered like, about that. Like the, they were supposed to be yeah. this, this <laughs> top military squad, and they couldn't hit the broad yeah. side of a barn. It's fun exactly. Show, These but... guys were all trained marksmen, and they seemed to never be able to hit anybody. <laughs> uh, and there was a lot of people jumping off the back of flatbed trucks um, to avoid getting hit. So it was all very dramatic. And, and a lot of that is, uh, you see that in the Falcons. And, and I revel in that because it's ridiculous. And the whole, the books are ridiculous. And one of the most ridiculous things that I really love about fiction is uh, convoluted revenge plots. Because if you want to take revenge, like the best way is just to walk up to that person and take revenge. But that would be a very short book. So in the in the uh, I suppose in the spirit of books like The Count of Monte Cristo, where the revenge is ridiculously and unnecessarily convoluted and complicated, that's what we have here. And a few times in the book, uh, they even reference that fact. You know that this is crazy. If you want to take revenge, you, this is not how to do it because it's bound to go wrong. Um, but that's the kind of book we have where it it does take a severe break with reality. And I'm a big fan of uh, Lemony Snicket, for example. And he managed to have these ridiculous, Count Olaf undertook these plans that grew increasingly unbelievable, but with such humor and such charm that you happily went along for the ride. And, and I'm hoping that uh, Foul fans will do the same with this and they'll be delighted to see another ridiculous plan being unfolded before them. Um, just wanted to um, go back and pick up on something you said earlier. Although, first, I, I want to give credit to... I, I feel like we threw the A-team under the bus a little bit. Um, and and, and I want to give credit to them and, and the producers of that show, but also to you, Owen, um, because your stories are adventures without gore yeah and that was kind of yeah, the intention not... of the a team it was yeah we want it to be exciting we want it to be fun we want a lot of stuff to blow up but we don't want to kill people 
No, we don't. I don't really want to kill people, and I think the older I get, the more I adhere to that. Uh, I want people to have fun, and and what I, so if you're going to take that approach, you really have to have inventive escapes. So when it gets tense in a foul book, I think the readers are wondering, okay, how how is he going to escape out of this, but in an entertaining and unusual way that we didn't see coming. So for me, the challenge is not to shoot people, but to have them escape in a way that in, from in a situation that seems impossible, but uh, they do it in a way that you go, okay, that's set up. It could happen. I, I, I'll go along with that. And, and for me, that's a lot more satisfying. Now, if I'm writing adult books for, I, and I write thrillers sometimes, there, are, there is, I suppose, a bit of a body count. But when I'm writing for middle-grade kids, there certainly is room for books where there is peril because kids need to learn about that. But that's not these books. These books are for fun, and when my main uh, intention with these books is to turn kids into readers. I want kids to put down this book uh, and go and read another book. Um, I don't care what book that is, but my goal is just to say, to, and, and it's the, my, the greatest joy in my professional life is when I meet parents on the road, and they say, my boy or my daughter never read a book and then we got your book someone recommended it and now they're readers and, and that is my that's job done as far as i'm concerned when that happens i love it now you're uh, an extremely pro- prolific writer owen do you consider this now trilogy with the foul twins to be um oh what would you call it uh, l- like a spin-off from the artemis foul series for which you became a uh New York Times best-selling author. Yeah, I do. Um, for a long time, I had no intention of, of ever going back to that family, and I thought I'm finished with that. I've been doing it for 20 years, but um, I just had kept having these ideas, and apparently, my subconscious or my unconscious knew that I wasn't finished with that. So I gave it about seven years to percolate in my head, and and then when I felt the idea was strong enough to go forward or to go back into that world, uh, I embarked on the trilogy. Having done seven or eight books and then four or five graphic novels on the Fowl family, I didn't really want to embark on a big, long series like that. Uh, And so I thought, well, I can do three. Three is, two felt too short to me, but three is a nice number. And I think if you're a book lover, trilogies are satisfying. So, yeah, that'll do for me. And maybe in four or five years, I'll go back to a different set of characters because there's a lot of characters still in that universe. I was going to ask about that, uh, about ideas for the escapades, but also, you know, the the characters. Are you ever concerned about running out of those kinds of ideas? Are we going to see Meet the Foul Neighbors? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am concerned, and I think most writers do worry that their next idea is not as good as their last idea. So I do think very carefully before embarking on any book. But yes, I am concerned, and especially as I get older and further from my own childhood, I worry about falling out of touch uh, with what it means to be a young person. Uh, for a long time, I had my own boys uh, to look at and... Uh, to observe their behavior, but now they're older. My oldest son is 24, my young guy is 18, so I'm moving further away from 
the people that I write for. So um, I really need to consider if I can tap into that vein anymore. So far, it's fine, but I think it's a good thing to be aware that you're you're separated uh, from your readers. And for, for years, of course, I would tour, and uh, I would tour three, four months of the year, and so I would meet my readers on the road. They would come to my to my events in the evenings, uh, and I would go to their schools. And so I really was in touch with them. But as we all know, for the last couple of years, that hasn't been possible. So uh, I've done a few events, but most of them are on Zoom. Um, so, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of separated, and I really miss that because it's a real injection of inspiration uh, right into my, uh, I suppose, into my into my inspirational vein. So uh, I miss having that. And so I'm looking forward to the coming back and I'm hoping in the new year um, that the next time we, I speak to you, Tom, I'll be in your studio in Clinton and, and I will have just come from a school where I talk to four or 500 kids. So, you know, that's how I'd really like to do things. And it's very helpful for me as a professional. I was going to ask about that if uh, if interacting with readers at events and if you enjoy that kind of thing because for a lot of writers the work is pretty solitary. I do enjoy it. I mean, I don't think anyone enjoys airports. And when you're on tour, <laughs> you, you could do two airports in, in a day, and and that now is five or six hours. So I, nobody enjoys that. But when I walk in, do enjoy them, even though. I have to travel, I suppose, quite a, quite a distance. Um, I have to go across the Atlantic, for example, so it, it, it takes quite a while to do it. But most of my year, I'm out here in my office. It's a lovely office, don't get me wrong, and I'm really lucky to have it. And the readers are like uh, editors for the next book. Um, so I, I do miss that interaction quite a bit and look forward to the day where I can uh, go back into schools again. Um, what is... Next for Owen, it sounds like the the foul stories are coming to an end with this uh, third book in in what we've described as the Foul Twins trilogy. Um, but Owen, do you have other things that you're already researching and in uh, plotting? Yeah, I'm, I've got a couple of things. I'm working on a a ghost story. And so I'm hoping that will come out for next Halloween. And I'm also hitting the other festival Christmas. I have a Christmas musical, which was which toured uh, North America last year. Uh, or Sorry, couldn't tour. It was set up to tour last year and this year. And of course, all musical regional tours were canceled. So hopefully that will be going out in 2022. Uh, and I'd like to do the, and that's called Noel. And hopefully I can do the novelization of that as well. So um, I'm going to be the festival guy. Um, Halloween Festival and Christmas Festival for the next couple of years. <laughs> well, that sounds like fun. Did I um, did I read somewhere that Artemis has or will have a uh, a film presence? I lost you in the middle of that sentence. You said, did you read somewhere that Artemis would have and then... Yeah, um, I, I, I was asking, um, did I read somewhere that Artemis had or will have a film presence? Well, he was in... Artemis uh, had a movie, uh, which is on Disney Plus at the moment, so if you want to... It was supposed to be released into the cinema, but it came out at the start of the pandemic, so uh. 
it was moved it was moved to Disney Plus. So if you want to, it was directed by Kenneth Branagh and it starred uh, Josh Gad and Colin. So uh, sorry, uh, our very own Colin Farrell. So if you want to go on Disney Plus and check that out, um, it's great fun. So yeah, that that was a great help. Uh, it really gave Artemis a much bigger profile internationally and sent a lot of people uh, reading the books, which is great. Oh, and I wanted to ask you about some of the characters in the foul stories. It's not that hard to imagine interrogator nuns or or even warrior dwarves, but how do you end up with grumpy dolphins? And whenever I'm going to introduce a character, I, I try to make to make them unexpected, and that goes right back to Artemis. Uh, when you get a 12-year-old boy, you expect someone gregarious and outgoing, but instead I give you a neurotic uh, criminal mastermind. And that's just to keep the reader on the edge of his or her seat so they don't know what to expect. And so I, I would hope that many of my characters like this, and it, it even extends to animal characters. So in The Foul Twins, Beckett is able to communicate with animals. He's, he has a bit of a Dr. Doolittle thing going on. And so I like to make the characters things you don't expect. So if you get a dolphin, you're expecting a very human-friendly, clicking, smiling, flapping the flippers, eager to please dolphin. But instead, I give you a very grumpy, begrudging dolphin who really looks down on humans and thinks they're you know, not very smart and only does these things because he absolutely has to. And, and for me, that's more interesting. And hopefully, if it's more interesting for me, it's more interesting for you, the reader, and you will sit up and look forward to what's coming next. Oh, and I, um, I want to ask you about the title, too. And I don't know if, if we're getting into spoiler alert territory, but Foul Twins Get What They Deserve. Is that yeah. a comeuppance well, or a reward? <laughs> you see, that is, Tom, you, got, you hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly what I wanted you to ask yourself. Because it could have, it has both connotations where it could be a good thing or a bad thing, a come up and start a reward. And in, in a way, they get a little bit of both. They get a little bit of both in that, you know, sad things happen, but also very nice thing happens. And uh, towards the end of the book, um, Lazuli says something and they respond with uh, what they would like to happen above all things. Um, and without giving too much away, that's an emotional satisfaction that they've realized, and even Miles has realized, that money is not everything. And what is really important is uh, your relationships with the people that you love. And uh, so what they really want from life and what they deserve uh, is for those relationships and those for those needs and loves to be reciprocated. And, and so that, in one way, happens, but also they have quite a tough road to get there. So they do reap the rewards of their antics, which are not always good. So I suppose it's about, it's all about consequences and relationships. And there's, um, there's a combination of high tech and, and spectacular magic in, uh, these books. And, and I, I just can't help wondering if magic isn't, very convenient when it calls for technology that hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> well, actually, uh, in, in the very first Artemis Powerbook, and that's a great question, um, 
one of the characters says that technology is taking the magic out of anything, everything. So there's a there's a, a scientific premise drifting through all these books that magic is just science. It's not. It shouldn't really be called magic. But it's just a kind of science that uh, popular science hasn't caught up with. It, very much in the same way as the thunder and lightning were thought of as magic, but were explained by scientists. Um, proper magic, what humans call magic, is just a, a kind of energy. And it can only do very limited things. It's not like magic where if you're in trouble and you can't get out of that trouble, you can call on magic. This only works in two or three instances uh, throughout the whole series. And if I'm going to do that, I have to set it up. So I won't just sort of uh, throw out a new magical power that I haven't talked about before just to get out of it a problem. It would be very <laughs> much like the old Flash Gordon, the old Flash Gordon serial where suddenly he's got a cloak of invisibility that we never heard about before. So <laughs> right. I try not to be too convenient because that's kind of cheating. But certainly, yeah, magic it does get them out of their few scrapes. Well, Owen, we're uh, just about out of time, but as you know, I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, your books, your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. It's very simply com, and if you go onto the homepage there, it will bring you to the various social sites, and it, there are videos, interviews, uh, articles, and little summaries of all my books there, so that's the best place to go. Well, Owen, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom, and next time, hopefully, we will do it in person. I would love that. Be well. Me too. Bye-bye. That was uh, Owen Colfer. He is... Uh, he has a new book. It's called The Foul Twins Get What They Deserve. It's the third installment in the Foul Twins series, likely to be a trilogy, as uh, Owen has said. Uh, he is the uh, author of the New York Times bestselling Artemis Fowl series, which was adapted into a major motion picture from Disney and is available uh, as we speak on uh, Disney Plus, I imagine, for streaming. Um, anyway... With that, we're going to take a uh, short break, and uh, we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program right after this. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Your Through the years. 
Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you 
that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Where are we going, Dr. Zarkov? Aaron and I discovered a room under the hall of atomic power, which stored scientific apparatus. With the help of slaves, we constructed my newest invention, didn't we, Baron? Yes, we did, friend Zarkov. I only hope this bull-headed monarch hasn't delayed us too long with his arguing. There isn't much time left to save the city. We are tipping over. How much further do we have to descend? We will be below the foundation in just a moment. What is this remarkable discovery, Wizard of the Earth? You shall see. You shall see. We are here. Hurry out, everyone. Hold fast to my hand, Dale. Oh, Flash, do you think Dr. Zarkov will be able to save us? I know he will do his best. There is my invention. What is that massive tubes and wires? This electrical machine is an atomic light solidifier. It'll strengthen the beam? Yes. Keep everybody back, Baron. I must have room to work. Stand back, everybody. Baron, do you think this machine will work? Be quiet. Professor Zarkov is throwing the switch. What is that weird bluish light? New rays made from the Adamsdale. Why, the city seems to be getting back on an even keel. By Powell, so it is! How is it working, friend Zarkov? Splendid so far. The light beams supporting the city are becoming stronger and stronger. Then the city is saved? The city is saved. By Powell, he has done it! All of you are free! Why, Dale, you're crying! I'm so happy we're saved! Zarkov, come here. He said he could do it, and he did. Yes, King Voltan, you summoned me? Zarkov, you shall be my head scientist. Voltan, this is more than I expect. I am grateful, deeply grateful, and appreciate the honor. Flash and Dale. Yes, impressive majesty. What is it, King Voltan? As proof of our future friendship, I shall give you a royal wedding tomorrow, and tonight we shall have a banquet to celebrate it. Are you having a good time, Dale? A wonderful time, Flash. It hardly seems possible that we shall be married tomorrow. I don't dare believe it until we are actually being married. Now, you mustn't feel that way, Dale. It's just nerve. Well, my friends, tomorrow will be the big day. I'm not so sure. Dale is just worrying about nothing, Baron. Hmm, it's almost tomorrow, Dale. What can happen now? 
During the excitement of the certain destruction of the city, the Princess Aura disappeared. Oh, is that all that worries you? I should think you would be glad she is not here. I am. Well, well, lovebirds, are you enjoying yourselves? Oh, yes, thank you, impressive majesty. Majesty? Majesty? Yes, what is it? The airship of Ming the Merciless is approaching the city. This means trouble. What did I tell you? There will be no wedding for us tomorrow. We will die fighting! No, Voltan, let us take our chances on escaping. Give us a rocket ship. It's no use, Flash. They were damaged when the city tilted. His Universal Majesty, Emperor of Mongo, Ming the Merciless. And Princess Aura. Now there will be trouble. Steady, Dale, darling. There will be a way out of this. Greetings and welcome, Emperor Ming. So, Voltan, you have become friends with the prisoners. Turn over this Earthman to my torturers. And to me, delivered my promised bride, Dale Arden. I command it. No, father. You promised Flash Gordon to me as my share of the spoils. Hold, Ming. By the ancient laws of Mongo, by the sacred laws of the great Pau, who is all wise, I call for a tournament of death. A tournament? And this fellow Flash Gordon would enter? Yes. A tournament. Then all the planet would see him fail and die. So be it. Between four mountains nestled a massive bowl-shaped arena toward which most of Mongo pulls the never-ending streams to the tournament of death in which all of the contestants but one will meet death. And Flash Gordon is going to enter. He and Dale occupy seats of honor in Volton's box. Princess Aura enters the arena on a golden throne carried by six blue dragon men. Here comes Aura in all her glory. She is vile, treacherous, and cruel. <laughs> that, my boy, is a beauty. Oh, I don't know about that. Here comes Drewbridge, king of the lion men. The dragon men are frightened by the lions. They've dropped the princess. Ah, stay where you are, my boy. Prince Baron is already picking her up. She seems to be smiling at him. I wonder what she's saying. Prince Baron, you've saved my life. Why did you do it after the way I treated you? Because, my princess, you are a woman, a beautiful woman, and I can no longer deny the fact that I love you. But whatever it is she's saying, I wish she would get interested in somebody else and leave you alone, Flash. The tournament is about to begin, Flash. There is your horse. Here, take this sword, my boy. It's the one with which I became King of the Hawkmen. Take it and justify my faith in you. And my faith, too. Thanks, darling. And thank you, Volton. I will do my best. In another box, Prince Baron reaches a decision. Zarkov, I am going to enter the tournament and win back my kingdom and Ming's daughter, Princess Aura, for my bride. Do not be a fool, Prince Baron. Why do you risk being killed? Wish me luck, my friend. I go to do battle. It is a battle royale with every horseman for himself. As the battle rages around him, Flash is beset by two yellow guardsmen. He vanquishes one, and as he is attacked by the other, he falls from his horse. 
before the yellow man can drive home in definite lust, a masked rider saves Flash, and the first great test of the Tournament of Death ends. A banquet is held for the survivors. Are you sure you're all right, Flash? Why, of course, Dale. If it hadn't been for that masked fighter, you would be dead now. Oh, why did you enter this horrible tournament? To win freedom, a kingdom, and what's more important, you. Look, the masked fighter is with Princess Aura. Ah, the masked champion. Are you a criminal fearing arrest, or a noble fearing recognition? Blue blood, or red, my lady. It will flow in the arena just as freely for your amusement. Here, wear the scarf as a token, but do not stain it with your blood. Fair lady, a kiss from your gorgeous lips, and I would face the legions of Pau. Insolent one! <laughs> I would have you tortured. You cannot punish the living dead of the tournament. Goodbye, you beautiful devil. I go to fight for your hand. That masked champion, I swear I know his voice. The call has sounded. I must go back to the fight. Goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, and good luck, my darling. Oh, King Voltan, when will this awful tournament end? I know it seems horrible to you, little bird, but it is better that Flash should die honorably in the field of battle than at the hands of Ming's torturers. If he wins this final event, he will be a king, and you will be his queen. The trumpets blow and the last contestants line up. Two by two, they mount the sky rope stretched over a flaming pool to joust with swords, and one after another, they are eliminated by death. Finally, only Flash Gordon and the masked champion are left. Flash loses his balance and falls down toward the flaming pool, but his hand catches hold of the rope and he hangs on. The masked champion, thrown off balance, all but falls but saves himself by grasping Flash Gordon's legs. His mask falls off, revealing Prince Baron. The crowd demands that both men shall live, and they are brought before Vulton and Ming the Merciless. None of your trickery, Ming. You will proclaim them both kings. So be it. But I shall choose their kingdoms. To Prince Baron and my daughter, Aura, I give the kingdom of the forest. To Flash Gordon and the Earth Girl, I give the kingdom of the caves. You fiend! You know neither kingdom has been conquered. True, Voltan. But these are brave men. Let them try. They can hold their weddings in their own kingdoms. If they live that long. This concludes our recreation of the first four episodes of the 1935 radio serial Flash Gordon. This series was recorded in the Tom Sumner Program studio featuring the voice of Sean Cantwell as Flash Gordon and Volton. Rhonda Groves Young played Dale Arden and Princess Aura. Randy Zimmerman played Zarkoff and Thun. Prince Baron was played by Dane Walling. Listen for more adaptations of old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Tom Sumner saying thanks for listening. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
Good tidings to you wherever you are. Good tidings for Christmas and a happy new year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy new year. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.